I'm unapologetically fly. No wonder why, that's just my attitude. Yeah. Okay, hey, that's just my. Uh, 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 come on. Hi guys, welcome to Glitching the Code here on Iconic.com and I'm here with a new friend of mine, Derek, and I want to say Lambert. Is it Lambert or Lambert? Yes, Lambert. Lambert from Myth Vision Podcast. Now, I've come across um, Derek's work because I started to look into the religions um, and how these kind of fall into conspiracy theories and how a lot of these prophecies are brought forward because to understand how mad some of these people are in the world, you have to understand what they believe and what they think and what they're trying to roll out. Um, and then you start to get into a lot of madness along the lines of what some of these religious texts say and what's been left out and left in. And that's how I found Myth Vision Podcast. It's an incredible podcast. If you want to look into this stuff, they make common sense out of uncommon sense. Um, and I'm learning a lot. So, Derek, thank you for your time. Um, yeah. How did you did you start? I know you had. Uh, we'll go backwards a little while later because I want to talk about some of the addiction issues that that, um, that you had. But I also want to start here. How did you start Myth Vision Podcast, and why did you start it? I know you come from a um, a, a background of belief. What kind of changed you into thinking this this is another change that I need to make in my own life? Oh wow! Well, you're forcing me to have to mention addiction. So briefly, I need to mention uh, I've a father who is an alcoholic. Uh, he's good right now. He's sober, but um, I grew up with that kind of addictive nature and I've always been taught to be extreme all or nothing, son, you know, that kind of stuff. So I was raised in sports. My father raised me in combat type situations, close quarter combat training, jujitsu, lots of martial arts. And then on top of that, you know, I was a wrestler in high school. So I was a star athlete, but I also had this extreme personality. So I went from smoking a little pot, popping a few ecstasy pills and shrooms in high school and hallucinating here and there and getting some experiences. So I know a little bit about these experiences that people talk about. And uh, I found out that phenomenon is easily uh, accessible if you just ingest a few chemical compounds. Well, over the years, I try to be right with Jesus and walk the straight and narrow and get clean. And I would and I would drink that Kool-Aid. And I would be super holy rolling, thumping people with my Bible. I mean, I went all out. I got the Bible that I read through and through from high school right behind me. And I've got it highlighted. I said, kids, one day you'll look back and see what your dad did as, as a teenager. Yeah. I was reading the King James only, by the way. Don't read any other version. I mean, it just we can go into like one hole after another how insane I was really dug into Christianity. But I really loved it. And I had this personal relationship with Jesus, as I thought it was. And I always gave it that facade. It was Jesus. It was Jesus. I'm giving you a short story here to say it was me all along. It was whatever I am, you know, inside of me, that was me, whether it's my conscious, whatever you want to say. And for me, you could say as a materialist, it's purely whatever that makes up this. If you're someone who is more into esoterics or thinks there's some metaphysical being there, whatever, I used to put the name Jesus on it, and that, that communication was with that. Well, I would get hooked on drugs. I got hooked on painkillers for many years, painkillers, opiates, Percocets, Lortabs, Vicodin, and then eventually to the stronger morphine patches to oxymorphone. For anyone who knows what oxymorphone is, it is practically a legal morphine type. It's like heroin, but prescribed. And then one day I didn't have enough money and I ended up on heroin. So then I go from sniffing to shooting it up. I'm telling you the dark stuff real quick here. 
So I'm about to die. I'm skipping 12 years of miserable pain and suffering here on and off and Jesus. So I'd be doing good and I wouldn't touch anything. I wouldn't do anything to drugs. And I couldn't explain hot and cold, either or, all or nothing, no balance, nothing I did ever balanced. And then I'm going to die. I mean, like I'm starting to tell myself, you're dying. You're not going to make it out of this. But it was like a two wolves inside, the good and the bad one. Which one are you going to feed, D? Which one are you going to feed? And that, you know, that just something one day, I, I'm telling you the stars lined up. I ended up getting help. I had to go through miserable withdrawals. And I was talking to myself again, praying. And I was saying to myself, you don't have the strength. I need you. I need your strength to be able to do this. I can't do this. But in that time period, I was also looking at stuff that was outside of the bubble of Christianity. I started to look at this video called Zeitgeist. Now, technically, according to critical scholars, many of the facts that are in there aren't accurate, but that doesn't matter. It, it, I needed something to push me over the edge. I needed something that had many facts that were accurate to paint Jesus and compare him with other deities. I needed to know that there were other ones. I didn't even know as a Christian that other religions really had a leg to stand on in comparing gods and their religions to this monotheistic one I had been raised to believe in. So when I saw Zeitgeist, I didn't know all the facts or the real history, but it did such a, can I cuss on here? Yeah. A damn good job on letting me see Jesus compared to other gods. And I remember reading Ravi Zacharias. He's a Christian apologist who wrote a book, Jesus Among Other Gods, and tried to make Jesus this something that's totally beyond and no comparison and no, that's not really actually the case. There's a lot to compare Jesus to. Dionysus, for example, is clearly utilized even in the book of Acts in the New Testament. So I found that out later. But when I saw that, it did something in me to soften my dogmatic extreme approach and made me realize for a moment, lighten up, man. You don't have all the damn answers. Calm down. And then this man reached out to me one day and said, hey, bro, can I talk to you through Facebook? Can I talk to you on the phone? Sure. And I had this gut feeling while he was talking to me that he might be an atheist. So I said to him, I said, man, I got to ask you, bro, are you an atheist? I mean, I won't change the way I think of you. But in my mind, I was scared if he was an atheist. I wasn't even wanting to hear what he had to say, really. But I, but I did it anyway. And he said, I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah, I am. But that's not what I want to talk to you about. I just want to show you some comparisons that I found that are fascinating between Samson, the strongest man who ever lived in the Bible, and Hercules. So I listened, and then he compared him to David, and then he compared him to Jesus. And he did these things, and I said, whoa, what am I looking at? What is this book that I've been worshiping for so many years and had no clue what I was reading? So it opened a door I never thought would, would be opened, and I wanted because I'm a, I'm a communicator. I like to share this stuff. And I did that without a podcast. Well, one day I realized there's only a few shows I can find on YouTube that even talk about some of this stuff. And these details I'm discovering, there's more details that are in written literature and books by people than there is podcasts and shows on YouTube. So I said, I need to be a voice. I need to be a voice out there that tells people it's okay. God is bigger than that little bubble. At first it was God is bigger. Now, if you're a believer and you're watching this, I'm not trying to at all poke. 
All right. I'm not trying to make you not have some faith in something or have a belief in something. At the end of the day, though, my God wasn't just this bubble. The only way to the father is through the son and da, 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 da. Well, it got bigger. And I said, hold on. It's like the six wise men of Hindustan where they go to see the elephant, though all of them are blind, and they're describing key aspects, and they're debating at the end, no, the elephant is a fan, no, he's a spear, and all these things, and that all of them exceeding stiff and strong in their own religion, all of them are partly in the right, but all are in the wrong, and it's Mm. like this poetic story to say that, and I realized, well, God is in every religion, and he's like the blind the blind men and the elephant, all the men are blind and they're describing the God that they've never seen or understand. And they're trying to touch it and say, no, 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 it's Hinduism. It's this. No, no, no. It's, it's Abrahamic. It's this. And they're all describing the elephant. They can't get it. So I became kind of a pantheist where it was like, God is everything and everywhere. And then one day I dawned on natural sciences. I started looking at the world around me that I see. And looking at that, I started to go, what is the difference between pantheism, deism, and no God? What is the difference? I've never seen this God. I don't know for a fact. I mean, I have experiences. But now that I'm looking at natural sciences and understanding how the brain functions and things like that in a natural way, maybe naturalism makes sense. Does it require a God? Now, we have a lot we don't know answers to yet. We still are probably never going to know so many things either way. But at the end of the day, it led me down a path of critical thinking, being a skeptic, and wanting to dive into the myth Hmm. without fear of where it takes me. And ultimately, that's the difference between deism and, and atheism to me was simply deism says a God started it all and disappeared, has nothing to do with anything anymore, is not active in the world around us, none of that then technically you're an atheist wearing a theist hat. That's all you are, in my opinion, because you can't explain why there's mathematical code, if you will. There's there's some kind of sequence to the universe that we see around us. That somehow to them makes an origin of a designer. And they don't see any potential, um, how do I put this, uh, flaw in this system, right? They, they see, look at the design. But also when you look at this, look at the horrific crap that happens around us. So as much as you can say, look at the beauty and design, look at the horrors in this world as well. And you got to go, did a designer make this? Was he horribly flawed at creating a perfect world? Do you believe in the fall myth of the Genesis account? Everything was made good, but man messed it up? Really? Really? We brought all death and disease into this world and everything that you see around you? So you kind of approach it you should balanced and not be so dogmatic no matter what position you take and that's where i'm at today i'm still on this journey what's great like because when we, you were talking about that and I, I i listened to a podcast that you did with someone else a little while ago and you talked about you were kind of trying to find answers um you had you were brought up in a family that your mom and dad you are they argue quite a lot i was the same a very violent household between the parents and you always felt that you were out of control Mm-hmm. And the only thing that kind of sweeps across everything that, that we tend to do is whether it's conspiracy research, whether it's religious research, mythology research, whether it's drugs, whether it's anything, is we're trying to find an element of control, even if that's going out of control, as we've choose to 
do it ourselves. Self-harm is still done by us. It's not an external call. You're not hurting me. I'll hurt me before you hurt me. Do you think that kind of we're still doing that? We've just changed hats. We've gone from like, I don't drink anymore. I haven't drunk for years, but we've gone to sobriety in that way, but kind of use that energy, that kinetic energy of trying to find some order, trying to hold on something and put it into other realms of understanding. We're still trying to find an element of control and understanding of we're not able to be completely like what is going on here. It's fascinating, but we're still trying to grab hold of maybe the ungraspable. 100%. Yeah. I, I, I've said this before, like when you go to try and get off drugs as an analogy, because it goes for anything in life, not just drugs. This goes for anything. This is a philosophy. Anyone could see how this would apply. When I went to get off drugs, I didn't just stop doing drugs. People don't really know that. They think, well, how do I quit drugs? I just stop doing drugs and then I'll never have to worry about drugs again. It's really not that simple. There. Your, your brain, the way that things work in the brain. See, I had to start looking at natural sciences to try and understand my own addiction at the same time and go, why did I do this? Am I a bad person? No, you're sick and you just need help. That's all it is. So the brain and its neuro pathways is like a, it's like a musical disc. What do they call that? Uh, the uh, disc with the needle. A record. A record. God, allowed. Yeah, record. It runs down a certain groove, and our behavior causes groove patterns. Mm -hmm. It it cuts cuts pathways into our brain of the way we act. So when you are doing something and it's a pattern or a habit, they say after twenty one times of trying something or doing something, you are it's a habit formed. Well, to stop doing that is very difficult, no matter who you are. The brain get it's it works off patterns. So no matter what, I'm very go, go, go. I had to lift the needle, which made me go, whoa, what are you doing? My brain not only chemically needed opiates because the receptors were dying for them. I mean, I literally shut off everything. When I, when I go to withdrawal, you're literally shutting off and you're like not happy. Everything's yeah. miserable. Your brain has to heal, take some time. But it's also going, what are you doing? You're used to doing this, lying, stealing, doing all the horrific things to get your drugs. And even when I got clean a month or two later, I'm walking into a gas station to get a drink from the soda to give you an analogy. And I go to grab, I used to grab two and I'd act like I put it back, but really one of them I slid down my sleeve or my pocket to steal. Mm-hmm. And I caught myself going, what are you, what are you doing? Like I actually had a conscious at this point and I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. The pattern there to, to be a thief was ingrained in me from all the actions I did to keep my drug habit going. You have to lift the needle and do new behaviors or else those other behaviors will inevitably creep back in. And your brain remembers those behaviors. So even years, decades later, it's still there, which is why people go, it's a disease, but really it's not, it's not the, the way that medical science is describing this. It's not a disease like I got syphilis or some crazy, you know, like something like that. It does need to be treatable. It's more like diabetes and you need to kind of find ways in which you're able to treat that. Now, some people use Suboxone or methadone or some other chemical compound to help them get off drugs. For me, it's other therapeutic things. And psychologically, I've found other ways to kind of escape like you talk yeah. about. So I've just steered the vehicle in a new direction. And these are behaviors that kept me from going back. 
and they've let me feel more fruition in life. I feel more complete and whole. There's a lot more to it, I'm sure, but I just scratching the surface to give you the analogy. Yes, you're right. I think I will always be this kind of person that I've been in extreme in many ways. Even people on YouTube are like, dude, you do wait. I've never seen a YouTuber who, who's recording and editing as many videos as you do. You literally are dropping a 1080p video every day on your channel and you're dropping eight to 10 of them a week on your mm -hmm. Patreon. Like yeah, I'm going and driving and recording and spending six, seven hours in front of someone with a camera asking them questions just so I can go home with 20 or 30 videos to edit it and put it up there. It's just, I'm always extreme, man. Always. Do you get the same sort of high? I've got another question for you in a minute of finishing a bit of content, uploading it and knowing you've done it. Is that kind of the same little, a tiny little, the buzz that you used yeah. to get? Yeah. Yep. yep. I feel complete. Um, yeah. But we all do this in different ways, everyone. So, I, I mean, I wish there was a way to just go, oh, you're not as addictive. You can just calm down and everything is better. My wife will tell you, though, she says you have calmed down quite a lot. Yeah. Like you're really balanced about things compared to what you used to be. But even then, she's got to come out here. Hey. Get off the computer. I need you to come in here and spend some time with me. Okay, okay. You know, like, or I'll go in there purposefully and figure out a way to go play a video game to take my mind off of everything I do in here so that I can relax and get ready for the night with the wife. Yeah, I get the same thing. Exactly the same thing. Very, very similar. And um, I've had addiction issues myself with, with alcohol, but not that extreme. I kind of got off there quite quickly. But um, you, you talked about, so that was kind of like changing, literally changing your tune, but you always knew that you always wanted to, you're a singer. You're always going to sing something. You just had yeah. to put it somewhere else. And I get that. I get that. And, it does, and I do believe it all comes from certain amounts of trauma, of feeling unsafe and insecure. And it's almost like a st static, nervous, kinetic energy. And you talked about there about this, the earth not being, you talked about like, if God was real, why the bad things happen? Why did this? Mm -hmm. Do you think there's anything to the concept of the design being sick? You mentioned it's a sickness. Yeah, there could um, be a designer there, but it might be sick. This whole thing might be sick. And I'm not to, and the Gnostics call it the matrix and stuff. And I'm not saying that I don't really buy into that myself. Um, but is it a sick? Is it sick? Are we, we living in a sick world? Well, if it depends on how you approach this, because I've had Bernardo Castrup come on and he is a philosophical idealist. And he said, which was really interesting, I personally don't know if there's a God, and I don't believe in a God. So I, I don't have metaphysical gnosis. I'm not a metaphysical atheist, so to speak, where I know there's no God, but I don't live my day-to-day -day life acting like there is. At the, end, at the end of the day, though, what he painted was the closest to reality I could make sense of that, that seemed to be most plausible. Any position's possible, but the most plausible one, if you're going to think a creator or designer is there, his said this, this designer is not perfect. And it is still trying to figure things out. It does not understand. It is kind of like got its own um, virus in its own code, trying to figure out things, which is why, according to him, everything's jacked up. It's it, it's not everything. I mean, there's a lot of like you go, whoa, that, there's homostate. There's a lot of homeostasis there where everything seems to be kind of like, hey, how come everything's so good? Like I go through that in life too, where I'm like, this seems a little little too good to be true right now, you know, and you're kind of kicked back going, why is it so just right? And then other times it's beyond what I can bear. 
and you look around and you go, how come there's a two headed human that's been fused and mm. genetically there's a mess up there. What happened here or things in nature that just don't make sense. And you go, what the heck? That's his position is that there's a mind. It doesn't have to be a physical being or anything like that. It's just some type of mind. And he's attributing that mind to something that still doesn't have it figured out. That's what he thinks is going on here. For me, it's more like brute facts and it's nature itself. Um, I don't think if there is a mind, I don't think it really cares. It's, it's not like concerned with what is happening right here to us. That's my, my thoughts. It's more natural. It seems like a force of nature. The hurricane doesn't care about your feelings when it's coming to blow your house down. That to me makes more sense in a natural explanation at the end of the day, fits the data better to me, even if we don't understand the whole ontological beginning or prior to the start of the universe and all that kind of stuff. It just seems like it doesn't really have that. We, I think, have created the meaning and purpose and morality that we see today. And we're continuing to develop that further. Look at the LGBTQ community, for example. If you see the way, I mean, there's a lot of different things. I'm just pointing out like that was not okay with 30, 40 years ago. You had to hide the fact that you were into another same sex member. Today, we're starting to try and go, look, they're humans too. Hmm. And, and I mean, you don't even have to use that example because I don't want it to be political at all. I'm just simply making the point that it gets, it, it, it's, I think it's all us that have learned these tricks. It's, it's unbelievable. I know how we would come up with, how we would evolve if you do take evolution to this place where we're now able to know and be aware of right and wrong and can think about things that if you look at a, a dog or a cat or a monkey, they're probably not. I'm not going to say they're not thinking of some of the things we think of, but they're probably not thinking like we are. I'll give you one analogy and I'll shut up. I'd love to have your feedback. But um, Dr. Robert and Price I had on recently, he talked about this. Uh, I can't remember what you would call the person who's working with chimpanzees in the jungles of Africa, but they're out there and a storm is developing. Clouds are coming. Lightning strikes right nearby. And this chimpanzee looked up at the clouds with his fist and went like that. You're trying to get me. It is assuming agency. Yeah. Yep. It is assuming there's agency behind the cloud and it's angry at it. And you think to yourself, well, now we, we know what electricity is. It's not Thor's hammer. It's not Zeus throwing lightning bolts like they once believed. We humans once believed that this was really true. And today we're starting to get to answers. I feel like, you know. So what's fascinating there is the kind of what you're describing is that God or this omnipresent understanding or this designer or even if it's not a person, this ability to pro to map things out, this understanding is happy at being un, out of control. I don't know if it's happy or, or it OK to be without control or is just allowing to be an out of control. But when I take it back to what we were talking about before, Whereas we kind of try and control everything, create religions and conspiracies and all these things to understand because we don't want to be out of control. <laughs> that kind of explains the opposite of what you were explaining there is he's gone, I don't give a shit. That's a good point. So if theism or some form of theism is true, and I'm not saying that it is, I'm just saying if there's a position, that makes better sense than acting like God is in control of all the chaos that's actually happening. Because if there's chaos, we want control, like you talk about. Yes, 
So why not build religions that explain why things are chaotic in a way that allows us to control them in our minds? Mm. Oh, that's God. He's angry at you, you people. That volcano erupted because you guys didn't keep the Sabbath on Saturday. That's why, Billy Bob, next time you might want to keep the Sabbath or you might want to sacrifice that goat so, so the gods are happy. Or we starved from a drought last summer and almost died and went extinct because you guys didn't give enough human sacrifices to the gods because the highest kind of sacrifice we could give is the life of one of our own children or our firstborn firstborn son. If you go far enough back in religions, that is a common thing, but I'm using all that to kind of paint the picture. We live in a universe that is not completely designed and it has all this, uh, order. There's a lot of chaos, as much chaos as there is design or more chaos than there is design. So religions seem to package explaining chaos and design. They're trying to explain why we have this world we live in, I think. And they're ancient sciences that didn't have what we know today. So they're doing their best. It's not they're stupid. Like a lot of atheists I talk to, these dummies and this and that. It's like, no, man, these are Religions are fossils of psychology and science of humans trying to describe the world and their own experiences from their perceptions. But we now have better sciences. That's what I'm trying to suggest. Absolutely agree. And it's a great way of putting it. So someone like a Jesus character, if you agree, is the person existed. I mean, it's quite clear that the chucked a lot of mythology from other people on top of this character um that's probably what the technical dream coat was he just shoved it on and it was all full of other people's patchwork stuff he, um but it, it but if you believe that character's come along people have followed these type of people because they give them the answers or comfort from the chaos every again it's like just please tell me how to live my life governments mm-hmm. today clearly most of the people in working our governments joe biden doesn't know where he is it, they're not bright people a lot of them very corrupt yeah. but they're telling you what you need you but really what it comes down to it seems to be is again comfort i'm out of chaos i don't know what i'm doing tell me what to do wow i mean you really you really are tapping into why i'm clean today and you go well, well, why are you clean off drugs today derek i have found peace with chaos yeah I have truly realized I don't know. I thought I knew all the answers and I was completely comfortable for many years, I thought, but really deep down, the reason I kept seeking to escape and kept trying to find an answer and find that comfort is because none of the answers made sense. And I kept seeking out. I, I went to heroin when I first got clean in the newspapers, right when I got clean at the very end in the newspapers, there was a guy describing this local newspapers in North Carolina said, uh, heroin is sweeping North Carolina right now, the heroin epidemic. And this man described what heroin was like, the reporter asked. And he said, it's like God comes down from heaven. Now, none of this is factually true, but the experience is, it's like God comes down out of heaven and wraps his arms around you and it's warm and cozy. And he says, everything's going to be okay. Yeah, That's exactly what heroin feels like. So that chaos you just tapped into is exactly the point. And if you talk to any pastor or preacher, behind a pulpit. The reason people are happy to tithe to them, the reason people go to that attendance is they're not speaking in a chance of saying, I want you all to be your own learners. And I want to give you tools to just learn this on your own. They are teaching you what to believe. They're indoctrinating you technically. And most people 
I guess I'm saying, I guess, cause I'm no expert on all this. I think they need that. They, they need that. That's why a lot of people say, you know, even though religions they say are, are dumb and there's a lot of people in history have made quotes like this, but it's for the masses who aren't intellectually or able to go to that place of chaos and be comfortable realizing the world around us isn't what you're painting it to be. Or they have to have this supreme idea that it's like a child, your parents, I, not everybody was raised with good parents, but I had good parents even in that struggling upbringing. And I felt comfort knowing my daddy would protect me. Nobody could beat up my daddy, right? My mommy had my back. She was going to feed me. Everything was comfort. And then as we grow up and we get in a scary world that's around us, we're looking for another parent. And Father God is perfect. Uh, Father Sky and Mother Earth and all of that. I mean, if you're looking for a religion, you're yeah. going to use something analogous to your own experience as a child. And no wonder people are in church doing this right here. Arms up. Hallelujah. And they're praising God. And what are they really doing? What is subconsciously happening there? Mm -hmm. I think they're saying, pick me up, daddy. Absolutely. My Look little boy. Down at me. Yeah. My 13 month, little, 14 month now, little boy does the same thing. Arms up. Pick me up. And Pick what you've up. described there is when we get to a certain age and we realize the God of the gods of our youth, which are our parents, are absolutely clueless and chaotic. It's the same thing now as realizing maybe the person or the thing or the entity or the understanding that's created this is the same, just a level up of chaos. Yeah. And this is the amazing part. You use the term create, right? If it's created, yes. If it's not, nature is a brute fact this way in this universe. So whether you think and posit that there's a mind behind the universe, and I'm totally open-minded to that being the case, I would need more. At the end of the day, I'm ultimately an agnostic, okay? If there is something there, though, it's chaos. No matter what, this is the chaotic mind or nature itself. If somehow you were to get into quantum mechanics and you thought, let's say Lawrence Krauss or Sean Carroll, these theoretical physicists are right, and they say quantum mechanics and the, this bubble burst into existence and we end up in a zero universe, which has a homeostasis that causes us to be in such a, it, it, it maintained itself. The universe didn't just go out of existence. It maintains itself. And this just has natural order, which ends up chaos and what we look at and we think is designed because it has some order in it. You got to ask yourself at the end of the day, why does anything exist at all? And people go, well, that's God. But really, I feel like it's a brute fact. At the end of the day, existence just exists, and we will not have that answer. People want the comfort of something, a mind being there. At the end of the day, this might all be eternal. And we just cannot understand, as Neil deGrasse Tyson sometimes says, the universe does not have to make sense to us. No. We want it to, but we're just primates that have just now learned to wipe our butts with tissues of paper, okay? Like, we're new to the game. Who knows in a couple thousand years, if we don't extinct ourselves, what we might figure out. It's like, I think it's Bruce Lee said, trying to, uh, he had a concept about holding water. It's like trying to squeeze water. That's what we try and do through knowledge. We try and squeeze water and think, well, I can't get old. And that's what we're doing. And I've come to the same point. I'm 40 years old now. And I enjoy the ride of this stuff. I love talking to people like yourself. I love talking to people like David Icke. I love people but I don't grasp onto anything anymore because yeah. I'm clearly as clueless as I was possibly <laughs> in the day, the day I started this stuff. I'm all right with that, which is, which is what you're saying. And I've come to the conclusion as I won't know, and I will go right. from here to the next place. And I might not know then either. 
but I'm going to enjoy it. I'm not going to waste my time fretting about it and trying to hold on. There's a concept that I want to run past you with the, the Garden of Eden mythology. Yeah. I, my yeah. kind of concept with that is, and again, I'm very crudely new to this stuff, is I think the whole knowledge, the, the, the idea was possibly that we do live in some sort of Eden, but the the idea of eating the apple from the tree was that we were they t- we were told not to. Obviously, it's a mythology and it's an mm-hmm. allegory because we weren't capable of having the knowledge of what we're trying to understand here without fighting each other, killing each other and arguing over it and spoiling the garden. And it was maybe a way of going, just enjoy the garden. You're not going to get your head around this. And if you try and do it, you're going to end up killing each other, raping each other, you know, wars, destroying the place. Just enjoy it. That was kind of possibly the warning. What are your, what would, is that kind of something that, I don't know. What do you think of that kind of concept? It's just an idea. Yeah, no, no, no. I yeah, and there's so many. Um, the the uh, let me phrase it this way: when we get into trying interpreting what these myths mean and what they say, there are absolutely countless interpretations of the meanings of what it actually meant, and it always has a new spin. The rabbi, the rabbis, if you go into the Mishnah or the Talmud and you look, they think it's a sexual act that takes place, and they interpret. The Cain, the seed of Cain and the seed of Seth, if you will, uh, Abel being a righteous one, as <clears throat> there's these, if you will, sons of God and daughters of men. You've got bad seed and good seed, and they have these like weird ideas that Cain is actually the serpent seed. But it looks like, and they even have a Lilith you know, myth where she mates with, with Adam, and she's his first wife, but because they wouldn't have sex a certain way, then that wasn't going to work. So she gets divorced and then Eve is made from his own rib of a companion for him. That's going to pretty much say, I'll do whatever you say. Uh, Cause she wanted to ride Adam in one of these stories. She wanted the top sex position. If they just so, wrote that in the Bible, I would have understood that, but they just <laughs> use all of this fancy language. Yeah. I know. And I've given you one, just one, yeah. right? This is what rabbis and stuff have interpreted it as meaning. And then there's other, ideas. If you get into critical scholarship and you start to look into where this story may have come from and how it may have developed, then you're getting behind the religious position, which is uh, trying to make sense of it. Mm-hmm. Where did it come from? Well, most likely Mesopotamia. Mm-hmm. And this is in the Sumerian. You know, This comes from the Epic of Gilgamesh type stories. In that story, you have Gilgamesh and his best friend, They were enemies. They were battling at first, but became best friends. His best friend dies. Gilgamesh becomes a wanderer. He wanders the earth, literally pondering like, like, why are we mortal? And he starts to realize he is mortal. He's going to die. I think all of this myth really boils down to no matter what interpretation you take from whoever death. Why will we die one day? What, why do we have to die? It's a real fundamental basic question like kids would ask this question and it's a very deep one daddy why do we die well let me tell you the story let me give you the story a comforting story as to why we die but there's hope don't worry because one day we'll live again this is religion okay this is what they're selling you and that story came from the epic of gilgamesh and i saw gilgamesh traveling the earth and one day he stumbles across a guy named utnapishtan and Utnapishtim is a flood survivor. He, he tells a story to, to Gilgamesh. He says, listen, so the gods created man. And then 
the reason is because all these gods were upset at all the work that they were doing. They were over here digging canals and having to do all this work. And finally, one day, the gods say, look, and I don't know if it's Marduk at the time or we're going to a god that was before that, that was the head of the pantheon. But it was like, we don't want to do this work anymore. So they protest against the chief god. And the god says, all right, we're going to create mankind. We're going to create these people. And they're going to do the work for us. So all the gods are kicking back, resting. They got their arms up. And they get disturbed. They keep waking up from their slumber because they're resting. You'll see this language happen a lot. And all of a sudden, they say, these, these humans won't shut up. They're annoying. They won't be quiet. They're too loud. So they send flood waters down to destroy them. But before the flood comes, one of the either Apkalu, they're these like wise sages, if you will, that know about the divine and what their plans are. There's different accounts on how this is described, but ultimately it gets to Utnapishtim, build a boat, build a boat because the waters are coming. He survives the flood. And then ultimately here's Gilgamesh saying, so can you help me? Help me live forever. You've got this gift because you survived the flood. And he said, I, I can't I have nothing left to give you. I don't know what to give you. And then the wife says, come on. She nudges him and says, look, give him something. So she tell, he tells him about this plant and there's different accounts on how this works, but ultimately there's a plant that will rejuvenate him and keep him alive for a long time. Right. And he ends up taking to get this plant. He has to struggle to get it, goes to take a nap. And wouldn't you know it, a serpent, an actual snake comes by and takes this plant from him. He wakes up and if you will, eternal life or immortality gone, there's nothing there for him. That's clearly something that's being borrowed and utilized into the Adam of Eve, Adam and Eve Genesis mm. mythology, explaining mortality, and then kick them out of the garden, lest they eat from the tree of life and live forever. I used to think the snake wasn't really a snake, but then when you find out how superstitious the ancients were about serpents on the ground and how they would peel their skin and rejuvenate and look young again. They thought they had immortality and that they had somehow taken immortality from humans. So this is, it gets into a lot of different things on understanding where this comes from, but there are many layers to understanding. And if you want to go to a Christian, they'll tell you what it means. If you go to a Jew, they'll tell you what it mm -hmm. means. But if you want to know critical scholarship and see maybe where they borrowed it from and why, that's a whole nother question. Yeah. I mean, anyone who's listened to that will straight to mind, come, come to mind the uh, more prominent Anunnaki and Kien Lil mm -hmm. Noah kind of thing and the bloodlines of Cain and, and Seth and and Abel and, and the fact that a lot of uh, there's some authors that I'm going to be interviewing soon think that the Cain bloodline is still here today and that's the bloodline of these European black nobility families and this is where the conspiracies mm -hmm. come in they believe that these families or these families believe they are and this is where I kind of was speaking to the emails I don't necessarily believe these are the bloodlines of Cain or anything like that. But I believe that maybe they've been brought up into a cult to believe that they are. Yes, yes. Okay, let me give you one analogy. I I, I hog a lot of time, and I don't mean to do that. No, but I'm I, interviewing you. That's the point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, this is fascinating because I just did an interview with a guy named Zvi Dr. Zvi and Zvi Ben He is a Hebrew scholar, knows Hebrew inside and out, and he has done extensive work on trying to find the lost tribes of Israel. They, they were lost in the eighth century BC. The Assyrians came and took captivity and they scattered these guys throughout the Assyrian empire. We don't know where they went. The Southern kingdom was like pretty much untouched 
till the Babylonians came and took them. Then they come back from the Babylonian captivity when the Persians took over Babylon and King Cyrus the Great, who was considered a Messiah, according to the Hebrew Bible, sends them back with money and says, go build your temple. The Samaritans try to come help them and they say, get out of here. You're half breeds. We want nothing to do with you. That's how the story ends up going. Mm. Well, where did the northern kingdom go? Where did all these lost Israelites go? Well, there was this lore in the Jewish community that they're out there just beyond that mountain, just beyond that river. They're, they're out there and they're waiting. And one day when we're righteous enough, when we do God's will enough, God will bring them back. Or when it's time, when God says it's time, and there's always an explanation for why they haven't come back. Well, you get down into the 14, 1500s, even Christopher Columbus, okay? These guys are thinking they're out here. We're going to yeah. find them. Joseph Smith, the origin, the originator, the prophet, if you will, of the Mormon church, believed that the Native Americans were the lost Israelites. So when they couldn't find them in the locations that they were looking for, if you go back the past couple hundred or couple thousand years, if you will, they couldn't find them at these locations. They started to go, okay, we've literally traveled the earth now. We don't know where they're at. They must be a certain people group that we don't know. So now they start to identify them and go, oh, they're these tribes down here in Africa, or they're the Native Americans in South of America and North America and all these places. At the end of the day, it's a lore. It's a myth. But if you believe in the myth, you can be it. And it's all like the imagination can create your own reality if you want it to be. So now these, these tribes are saying, I'm lost Israelite. I am from the northern house of Israel. The British did this. The British Israelites, they claimed identity and said their bloodline somehow connects. It happens all the time. And me, at the end of the day, I got behind all of that. I wanted to know, were there really lost Israelites seriously out there? Come to find out, no. They, God promised, I'm just getting to the conclusion to point out, there was a promise that they would come back. When they didn't come back when they were supposed to, the text tells you this. There's a book called, uh, it's called When Prophecy Failed, Cognitive Dissonance. Okay. It's all about cognitive dissonance in the Hebrew tradition. There's two different books called When Prophecy Failed. One's about aliens and a cult that, that specifically thought the aliens were coming back. The other one is about the Hebrew Bible and its claims of when things will happen. When it didn't happen, what happens? Well, this is what happens in a case of cognitive dissonance. Um, something, I can't remember his name, something Miller, the Millerite movement in the 1840s claimed Jesus was coming back. He did some calculations. He said, come out to the field, everybody. That day, nothing happened. The cult split in half. One side said, we got the date wrong. The other side said, it happened behind the clouds. It was a spiritual happening. So he's up there in the clouds, seated on the throne. None of them said, hold on. <laughs> All of this isn't true. We made a mistake. That is cognitive dissonance. So they just changed what it meant or when it was supposed to happen, and they kept the myth alive. That's what happened with the lost tribes. That's what happened in the Jesus cult. Jesus says, I will come back. This generation will not pass away. He said it was going to happen. And when it didn't happen, the Christians still held on to it. And even today, doomsday cults are alive. Yeah, it's it, it, it keeps going. And it, there's so much to unpack there. I mean, I 
there's something with ancestry.com and i do believe that they're trying to find these possibly bloodlines mm. this whole thing of trying to find these tribes that just dissipated again these people do believe these things so if you've got enough money and you're a multi-billionaire you can set up these things to try and find these bloodlines yeah. and if that's your faith and your religion you will do these things i think it's um the 13th tribe that talks about them being Khazars as well. These are part of this bloodline at the moment, but this yeah. is part of the conspiracy thing has been built on top of this. So now you have Israel obviously created by the Rothschilds and, um, and then it's going down and then Trump built the, built the, um, put the base, the American base back in Jerusalem, I think it was. And they're talking about another third Solomon's temple. And these themes are still going on. And I, mm-hmm. to me, it's like, self-fulfilling prophecy especially yep. and with the gnostics i believe that they write these things to try and understand where the world is and then they get lost and then they get into into okay this is the way the world is therefore then you get the things like the technocracy and ray curves while talking about connecting us to the cloud and um uploading our consciousness and we bring about these things right because we believe them either to be true or ha- or they will come true Therefore, people start to put the things in place, not really thinking, actually, we're doing this as it's not being done to us. Yeah. So for me, yeah, I I don't know about the cloud and all of that. Okay, I don't know all this particular uh, idea that you're talking about here. But if I just take my common sense of my own experience and when I put my mind to something, especially something I regurgitate as a ritual or I read ritualistically and I want to achieve to be like that saint, that prophet, that person, or that God, whatever it might be, uh, you're going to try to mimic and self-fulfill that simple as that. Anything you put your mind to, you can start to mimic. I, I deal with this all the time, actually. In fact, um, a Jewish, well, he's not a Jew. He's a Noahide, a Gentile convert to Judaism. Mm-hmm. And so uh, he, he says, you, we got in an argument the other night and I mean, I thought the guy was sauced up, but he messaged me. He was talking about, uh, look, man, um, you can't explain the existence of, uh, of Israel, of the Jews, explain their existence. Now, when he says that, because I've studied this a lot, that's a loaded question. I can't take the time, especially when he's trying to debate me to ex- like explain to him all of the different things that he is already assuming in his mind while he's carrying that that antagonistic approach to me i I can't even begin to try and like cut it up for him to explain how this can make sense naturally there's just not enough time and honestly that wasn't even his intention his intention was to tell me my god exists because the jews exist and everything they've been through is evidence that my god exists this was his whole claim and the funny thing is is the same claim is actually made in a different way by islam the Muslims claim the Quran is the word of God. It's perfect. It's directly from the or- oracle of Gabriel, directly from uh, Allah and from Allah to Gabriel to Muhammad. And they make these claims, too. And they say stuff like, well, the Quran claims the prophet claimed that we would know that the tallest building or there's this prophecy of the tallest building ever being built. Right. By Muslims, I guess. Well, look, in, if you look in Dubai right now, the tallest building in the world is in the Muslim country in Dubai. Does that prove their God exists? To them, absolutely. And Derek, you need to shut your mouth if you think otherwise. That's their thought. They think, you idiot, can't you see the tallest building in the world was created and they prophesied this 1,400 years ago, Derek? Well, I can give you an analogy. If we started a group in a community, we were a tribe, and I said one day we'll be the strongest people, 
that ever lived. Okay. Something like that. One day down the road, let's just say, and there's a strongman competition. And this whole cult has this idea of being strong. Why? Because our prophet said so. We got to keep that in mind because these are sacred texts. So they lift weights all the time. And one day a guy enters into the world's strongest competition to a person in that cult and he wins that, that's prophecy fulfilled to them. To me, that's common sense. It, it really is not prophecy fulfilled to me. To them, they'll go, see, you're not open-minded. And to me, I'm looking at it going, I'm sorry. I don't think you understand why I don't see that as adequate, actual divine help as to why that happened. Did you look at all the other times that your prophet made claims and it didn't happen? Oh, you ignored all of that. Yeah. And you find the points where you say, ha ha, tallest building ever lived. Ha ha, the Quran has been preserved, whatever it might be. And the Bible does the same thing. They ignore the failed prophecies and they only focus on the ones that actually happen or at least become self-fulfilled. No, I completely agree. And I listen to this, I'm more and more convinced that as someone who works in the conspiracy arena, that's what they call it, it is a alternative religion. It's definitely an alternative belief system. Yeah. It is. It, it, it is no different in that that we were not in the room with the people that we're we're having theories and concepts about a lot of it is way out there some of it is happening today but it's happening because people are doing it not because right. i'm a magical foreseer in this to the future so it's again it's human beings doing things um and i find that fascinating and the more i get to this why what is it about people like ourselves and that can look at these things and go do you know what i might be wrong <laughs> i might be mad and then we can change and go, actually, that makes more sense without having like an ego attachment to it. Like you were saying, we're not trying to like the cognitive dissonance isn't there because we're not going, OK, that, yeah, actually, I've, that sounds like a nonsense to me because I've got new information or, yeah, I've just I've grown out that one. What, 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 how are we able to let go? How are people not I, some not? That's a really good question. I mean, when we do research cognitive dissonance and you understand how that works, it it's. I personally think this, and I don't know how to put it into technical, medical, scientific terms, but this is what I personally believe. <laughs> this takes a second. So when you believe, when you actually have an experience, and I've had plenty of experiences before I ever did drugs with Jesus, you feel in your bosom, in your, in your solar plexus, a warm comfort. You feel a, like a I'm part of something. And you take that, that experience, which to me is a, today is chemicals and a social construct that is releasing endorphins and serotonin and all of the different amazing things that make us feel great by the social construct that we're around. That experience, we attach to ideas. So guess what? My experience then validated my belief, which is a whole different thing. I have made this cloud in my mind, the cloud. Let's use the cloud as an example. My thinking, my thoughts are a cloud, okay? That cloud encompassed Jesus. My experience, I then attached to that cloud. So now anything that comes contrary to that cloud attacks what I know, hmm. what I experienced. And therefore, 
once I have dis- found a way comfortably to dismantle and realize I have separated that experience from that cloud and realize that's my experience. That's me. I have that experience. It's not Jesus. It's not Vishnu. It's not Buddha. It's not the Anunnaki. It's not any of these things that is the cloud. It is me having these experiences that comes from me. Well, when I did that, that's when I realized I needed to be empathetic. I needed to be patient because I know why they do it. I know exactly why they do it as I was like them. Muslims do it for Muhammad and Allah. You, the list can go on. You get where I'm going with this. Hmm. So when you say that, why are we able to? I think we've kind of found a way to be secure within ourselves and explore the world without any taboo options to consider because we've divorced the cloud from that experience. That's my opinion. And I mean, most of the world probably has had a religious experience. Most, if they are religious or they're just going through the motions because they were raised that way. But ultimately that I connect, people do it with politics. People do it with everything on planet earth. You attach your experience, what becomes true to you from the social environment you live in to that cloud. It's Donald Trump. Nope. It's Joe. It's every single thing you do. And how do you divorce yourself from that? How do you find a way to do that? That's the difficult question. How does one finally internalize? For me, it was facing death. For me, it was the trauma of I am actually about to die. And that survival mechanism kicked in for me. And it was, you have to do anything to survive. Even if that hurts you, I don't care what it is. I'm getting like intense here to let you know at the end of my addiction, heroin shooting up, I knew I needed to do anything. I got jumped when I was a teenager in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, by 10 to 12 dudes. One of them had a baseball bat. He uh, fractured my uh, shoulder blade on my back. I was going in and out of consciousness. And I remember my dad whispering to me in my, in my head, son, survive. I remember him saying, survive. And I did everything at that moment that I could because I was starting to black out. They're hitting me in the head. Mm. I'm seeing light. I'm starting to go out. And I just jumped up and just screamed. It's over. I mean, like I just lost my mind, went back into the hotel, but I had to survive. For me, when it had to survive, it was separate everything you think you know. You don't know Jack, Socrates, okay? I know nothing. And then start over fresh, clean slate. Try to evaluate the world on what you can know, not on the imagination, imaginations or looking at text. Start to be more critical, but also be open-minded. That's what I did. And that's what leads me to where I am today. Yeah. So what you're saying there is there's the internal validation instead of an external validation. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can only go off what we perceive. I mean, you can't like, there's maybe limits to that. Sure. But we live our every day based on what we perceive, what we experience with the senses that we have. That's the best you got. So anything outside that, you, you kind of have to speculate. But I'm totally okay with that now. And to answer why people do that, I think is they got to hit a wall. If it's drug addiction, if it's a spouse divorcing you, if it's my mom passed away, it's you're, there's tragedy there. Somehow we've narrated tragedies and believed in the myths. Okay, but we are our own tragedies. We have our own stories. We don't need to believe in these fictional ones that are dividing humanity. We need to recognize and appreciate everyone's own story. 
and realize that we're all humans who are telling our own narrative. We have our own path. We are our own myth. And that's what I'm trying to teach people. Myth vision. You know what I mean? I want people to look at themselves and value them. Don't look at women less because somehow a story said she was the first one who ate a damn apple. Get out of my face with that. Women have been belittled based on that myth. Women have been treated like absolute dog, you know what, for a long time. That's just one. There's many things we've done. Humans in this narrative, you're broken, you're fallen, you're worthless. You need this God to save you because you're nothing. You're dung, as some of the texts say. Your righteousness is like filthy rags. What kind of parent, father, would look down to their children and think that way? Nah, not me. I, I'm going to do something different. You know, I think I'm more moral than the biblical God all day long, and I can prove it. Especially the Old Testament one. He was a right rotter. <laughs> I think I can't believe people would look at that and go, he's nice. I'm like, Would you leave your kids with him? No, you wouldn't leave your kids with him. <laughs> it, so right now, in this, this day and age now, something popping into my head there is that these the kids, and, and we do it, we have stuff online, the beast system, as I call the internet. Um, our gods are becoming our online versions, especially for kids. It matters more to them that their online version, their God version of themselves doesn't disappear mm -hmm. than it does to them disappear. They would, you, do you know what I mean? They die as another yeah. death. If their online presence dies, if their Instagram goes, their Facebook goes, their YouTube goes. And we know what it's like because we do this content and we, we're pulling it as well. Yeah. We're creating our own versions of our own gods that we believe in now. And, and we kind of worship at the altar of our online avatar. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but we've been doing it for a long time, online or on, not online. Mm -hmm. I'll give you an example. Uh, let's pretend you and me had space time travel. We went back in time and space and we were in the thousands AD talking to the church council. And I was saying the things I'm saying right now about Jesus and how it's not real. Would they try to kill me? What do you think? Yeah. Why? Why would they attack me and be so upset? I'm attacking their avatar. That's their avatar. I'm attacking their image, their cloud, but their cloud is connected to their experience. And every human has these experiences, unless there's someone who really is like, like we talked about with chaos, someone's born and they just don't have emotions or something. We have serial killers that are examples of that. But the point is that cloud is their avatar and they have made Jesus them. In fact, a lot of the texts in the new Testament say you are the body of Christ. And why do you persecute me, Paul? Persecute? Who are you? I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. But you weren't really persecuting Jesus. You were persecuting Christians who followed Jesus. So the, the psychology comes in. I am in Christ. And if you attacked my Christ, you're attacking me. And Christians feel that way today. Well, if you attack my avatar, you're attacking me. If, you, uh, if you're online and you're speaking ill about me or you dislike my video or you don't like my video enough, my avatar isn't good enough. I'm not good enough. And we have not learned to separate those things. I still fall into that trap sometimes. Online, uh, you know, you got to try and find a way to divorce yourself from the way people view you. But that's my way to try and make sense of that. What is fascinating, one little deeper than that, then, is, is that, okay, the avatar can exist. So, okay, you might get a load of rubbish between your avatar. So, say people just hate your videos and, they, and I hate Derek. I can't stand him. He's a nightmare. Would you, right. some people would rather 
them be hated than not even acknowledge they exist at all. And is that come tied back to living forever, dying, death? So, so repeat that last part again. I'm sorry. Repeat. So, so say, so say I didn't acknowledge that your avatar online existed at all. Would mm-hmm. that be? Would it be preferable to acknowledge that you exist but just hate it to not acknowledge it at all? Is that so, death? So you're asking me if I because not you assuming, personally, but no, I'm no, talking no, about like people in general. Would we prefer that our avatar online was hated to not seen at all? I guess some people wish that they were, yeah, that they never not exist, that they don't cease to exist. People want to live yeah. on after death. That's a psychology as well. Why we want eternal life. Immortality is like taught in all of these different religions, including the Greco-Roman ones, that one day we hope to have an apotheosis ourselves and ascend to Mount Olympus and be with the gods or become a god ourselves or whatever. So I think that there's definitely that connection there where people would rather have attention than none. But some people are... It's hard to understand that because what you're assuming is that the person who is uh, like, if it was me, for example, would I rather people dislike my material than ignore it altogether? Honestly, no. Mm. Honestly, no. But then again, I don't expect people to be mature enough to just ignore and move on. Uh, People have to speak. They want to be known too. So that same question you just asked can be reversed to them. Did you really want to be known that you disliked my video? Is, does it make you feel better that you're actually being recognized as someone who doesn't like what I just did? Does it make you feel good? Did you get comfort out of that? And so it's it's an interesting question you ask. It goes into so many levels and layers. But at the end of the day, I ignore, if I don't like content, I actually don't dislike the material on the on the channel. I know how the algorithm works. I'm actually feeding into their channel by disliking yeah. it. So I just ignore it. And if you ignore it, something might actually cease at some point to be relevant. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's my so if it, No, no, no. I get it. It's, it's fascinating. So it, it ties into the Messiah complex is where I'm trying to get around to. So Jesus as a character had to have followers. Mm-hmm. So how, how damaged do you need to be to have people have to follow you? And how can I make you someone I want to follow if you need me to follow you? It's a bit messed up. It's like the person on stage can dance around, be an amazing musician, singer, but he's nothing without 30,000 people watching him. So it's a 30,000 people that's making that one person the God. The God's not a God until he has people to look at him as a God. So does God, if there is a consciousness, need to have us to, to re- acknowledge him. It, that, <laughs> that's a question. Okay. That's a question we wouldn't have. Well, we, there's no way to prove uh, that kind of question. But if I were to use the texts, see, because the only way you would know is this is what they call special revelation. How? Well, they claim that these are from God, these books, right? So if you're looking at the biblical God, he absolutely is narcissistic. Mm. And what are what we call as humans, you know, that that term. He's jealous. I mean, literally, like uh, humans are jealous and this God is jealous. He wants your attention. And if you don't give it to him, according to modern contemporary Christianity, he loves you. I love the, the stand-up comedian. What is his name? Uh, Carl. Um, I always get his name, butcher, but he's like, and God loves you. And the, oh, no, no, no. He, he, uh, he's going to, if you don't uh, believe in him and worship him, he's going to burn you and cook you and destroy you and torture you by his demons and hellfire. This, that but he loves you. And he does this thing. And it's like, what the, so 
yeah, he wants your attention. He needs it, it seems. But then Christians will argue, no, no, he didn't need your attention. Uh, he created it of his own free will, and there was no desire. He didn't need creation. It makes no sense why he would make creation. So that's where deism might come in, where he's like, oh, he created it and then left. He just, here's an experiment piece. He's just a lab experiment uh, scientist, a madman that's behind the universe who makes it, ah, well, good luck. Let's see what happens. I'll come back and... I don't even know if time exists, you know, outside of time and space. So, so this is where it's an interesting question you ask, but I think personally, like I talked about, I'm getting into naturalism. I think that we project our experience onto other things. The Bible says that we were made in the image of God. And of course, there are people who have different analogies. The Anunnaki made us uh, somewhat like them to do the mining of the earth for gold, et cetera, et cetera. You name it, you name it. But I, as I've been researching, have come to the conclusion that gods and God is made in the image of man. As time goes by, you see that development. Really, at first, it was nature. Nature is what we worshiped. And polytheism became the thing that sprung up out of nature worship. So- the tree over there yeah. has has energy and power and has its own. Um, we talked about this earlier with the chimpanzee putting the fist up to the sky. It has its own agency. Trees have agency. Animals they can see clearly have agency. Everything starts to have agency. So now all nature becomes this reflection of trying to explain the divine. And eventually we start to give those human attributes. So now, and not only human, but animal attributes, human and animal. We see it in Egyptian hieroglyphics. We see it also in Hindu hieroglyphics or Hindu writings and such. There's elephant-headed human beings and biblical stuff do this too, a mix between an eagle and a human. And, a, and sometimes they go, well, that's just symbolism. But if you go far enough back, these were deities. Tiamat is like a serpent-type being that Marduk has to defeat and creates the world from. Yeah. So I think all of these are reflections of our own experiences and our perception of nature. And technically, like I said, a very outdated, superstitious explanation of science. That's my opinion of, of, of religion and God. It's I fascinating. I could talk to you about this forever. The last question, because I've kept you longer than, than I said. I would, no problem, brother. I love you, man. I, you, this is great. Thank you. I would, we'll do it again. I'd love to do it again. It's, it's just fascinating to me to get into these, these subjects, especially with someone who has the, the understanding I, I don't have of the religious context and the background of it. I want to talk you about Zoroastrianism or ones because I never even heard that word till about two weeks ago. Um, image of God. You just said the image of God there. And that brings to mind straight away vampires. They can't see themselves in the mirror. If God doesn't didn't know, let's just say there was a person or an, an understanding or an intelligence, what they look like. Imagine me and you, we spend our whole life, but we can't see what we look like. No reflection. We don't understand what you, I'll never see what I look like. You never see what you look like. How mental would you go? So is this possibly, I don't know, I heard this theory a long time ago. This was God's or intellectuals, way, intelligence way of understanding or finding out what they were seeing themselves is this kind of as you say god is in the image of man as he trying to find out what he what he is to see himself he just didn't understand without seeing your own reflection of yourself can you truly know who you are so the way you're you're pers- if i'm if i'm the way you describe that i'm trying to perceive and look from the angle you're looking at because you're coming from an angle where supposing that there is a god 
All right. We're having to kind of suppose already that yeah, this is are, what's yeah. going on. So if we're already supposing there is a God, why would he make man in his image as the text describes? Right. Um, that's an interesting thing to think about, uh, especially if you go back to when this is written, not modern day people. Modern day people will try to make God outside of space and time. There's a book called God and Anatomy. It's literally called An Anatomy by Francesca Stravacapulu. Hard, tough name to look at. She's nice. Yeah, really, really awesome name. Yeah. Uh, couldn't compete with that. But she wrote a book called God and Anatomy, and it just got released. I'm still waiting for it to come in the United States. And the whole book is exactly what that title is. And you go, what's an anatomy? Yeah. God has hands and feet. God has a penis in the Bible. Literally, hmm. the God of the Bible is not what Christians today are saying. Now, that's their own perception based on modern philosophical and scientific understanding of the world around us. Well, God's not hiding behind that cloud anymore. No, of course. He's beyond space and time. So every time we get close to grabbing God, ah, oh, there, we'll, we'll touch him. He's never there. He's always disappearing. So supposing this God is real and he goes to make man in his own image, that is possible that he wants to see himself somehow. And he's jealous that his own reflection Somehow in his chaotic world, he lives in with other gods, but he wants to be the chief god. They're running after other gods. So his own reflection, and this kind of gets into weird Gnostic stuff with the spark and stuff, yeah. but his own reflection is, is running away from him. And he's wanting the reflection to come back. And he's saying, no, I'm a jealous. You need to come to me. But it tells you either he is incompetent, doesn't have the power, or... Something's wrong on his part that he can't make them come back or he's not drawing them back somehow. So, you know, if you're selling, you know, bananas at a stand and no monkeys are around uh, and you're trying to get the monkeys, maybe you'll bring your banana stand somewhere where the monkeys are at or you'll find a tactic to sell your message to actually draw people in. If you're doing that, he's not doing a very good job unless he's happy with what he's seeing now. Like we're trying to completely speculate here and it's fun to do. I, I you can tell I can do it with you, but you're right. I mean, like who knows, who knows? There's so many rabbit holes. You could try to explain what's going on using the text. For me, I'm actually going underneath the text. And that's why I say it's actually the opposite. We came up with the idea of agency from nature, just like the chimpanzee, the chimpanzee isn't, doesn't know about Jesus, doesn't know about any God like that we know of, of any name, can't even speak our language, and yet is putting his fist at the sky when the lightning bolt struck, mm. saying to that thing that it thinks that thing is after it. It really believes that that lightning purposefully is trying to get it. So the chimp is angry at it, assuming it's purposely, maliciously trying to attack him. Why? Well, because other monkeys try to attack him and other animals try to attack him all the time. So it's just one step further to assume that lightning bolt, something behind that cloud was trying to get me. And so we in nature eventually posited reflections of ourselves onto nature. That's my, my perspective. It's incredible, isn't it? Just to keep going and going and going on. And I absolutely love this stuff. It, <laughs> it feels like, do you know what it feels like to me? It feels like we, we, we're in someone's head and they've had a psychotic breakdown. 
and we're just wandering around in there and they're going, what the fuck did we get here? Yeah, and then dude, we're all that's... trying to figure out madness with sanity. You're trying to fix, you're trying to fix the broken computer with the broken computer. And that's basically what life is for me. There's, um, a, yeah. there's one thing I just want to comment. You made no, an no, amazing on, point on. there. Yeah. So when I went to AA and NA to get clean off drugs and alcohol, initially that's where I went. I needed a social group that wanted the best for me. Yeah, it's cultic. Like, yeah, there's definite, like they want you to believe, they want you to get in these things. I get it. Uh, at the time, I still believed in something. Okay. I was still kind of theistic and I was spiritualist, but I went, I got clean and they had this little motto where they would say, this is the only place because it's always us. We're so self-centered. We always have this analogy. A lot of guys go, this is the only place that worked for me. But then they also would say this, this is the only place where you get a bunch of drunks to come together to not get drunk. And they said, listen to the paradox. It takes a bunch of drunks to get around a bunch of drunks to not get drunk. That's the, the paradox that they live in. It takes a bunch of drug addicts to come together in a room to stop being drug addicts. That's, that's the way that they fix alcoholism and drug addiction in these rooms. Now, it's not the only way, of course. I'm just saying in yep. their world, that is how they make sense of it. Because what can you tell me if you've never been where I have? Here we go. Once again, separate the cloud. They try. They say you need it. They think you need a cloud, right? You need to have a deity of some sort. And even people will say atheists have clouds, right? They'll go, everyone has a cloud of some sort. They like to call it a religion. But nonetheless, I don't even care about all that argument. At the end of the day, everyone needs something to look up to. We all have clouds. And I don't care what it is. If it works for you, good. If it harms others, I would hope you change your cloud. And I want to try and find a way where we, humans can come together. But that point is, they are taking their experience. And if you've had an experience like I have, and I listen to you, another sentient being, explaining to me your experience and I can relate, then I have connected to you in some way. And your message can help me to get where you are. So if I'm a newcomer to the room and I'm listening to you and you say, yeah, I've beat my wife. I've, I've stolen money. I've gone to jail. I've done this and that. I've done this and that. But let me tell you something, when I about gave up hope is when all things changed for me. And this is what happened. And I'm like, listening to you, because I've done all those things and, and even more or whatever. And I was able to latch on you. I connected not with the cloud. Mm. I connected with the experience. And that's how I got clean. So we need to connect. I think humans need to connect on an experiential level and not care what your cloud says and what my cloud says. We need to empathize with humans because too many people suffer and die and they think nobody cares. They really do. They really think nobody cares, but I want them to know that I do. And they might think I'm full of shit by saying that, but I'm really not because I know what it's like to almost die. And the ancients had a saying, if you die before you die, you'll never die. And they would take psychedelics and all this. We can get into a whole bunch of different stuff, but there were, mm. there were mystery schools where they would tap into this. And they would die, experience death before they died. And guess what? Technically, based on that, I'm going to live forever. You see what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah, no, I, get I don't it. ontologically technically believe that. I'm saying, though, you don't fear death when you've already faced it. There's a guy out there that's doing some research, and I've totally forgot his name. I'm going to be interviewing him in a couple of months, and he talks about the living resurrection. And, um, and that's a principle, that, a, a practice that, 
a lot of people used to do and as it ties into the resurrection of Jesus and is possibly what they were actually practicing at that time. It's a thing where they put people into a coma for three days to, they say they go over to a different reality and come back with information that they couldn't have got before. And it's called the living resurrection. Resurrection. Mm-hmm. It's done. From, it's done medically. And they say that they do that at upper levels of um, the Freemasons, well above the Blue Lodges. Yeah, they do that. Lodges. Yeah. Um, yeah I, I have an opinion, but that's a little anachronistic to me. Uh, even though I do think that practice definitely, I mean, there's no doubt that that is a practice that takes place within Freemasonry. Um, I have a friend who actually went through that practice himself. He's okay. a Freemason. He was one of the guys who helped me get clean off drugs, but uh, he wanted me to join, but I had a felony charge on my record. He was going to want me to join back then and, and to become a Freemason, but they look at your actions more yeah. than, than your cloud, so to speak. They're like, what have you done? And, and they want a good a moral person to, because if you're not moral and you go to grab a hold of these esoteric teachings, they don't think that you can properly keep them without doing bad with them. They think these are powerful ideas that you could do evil with. But yeah, I think that that's anachronistic. I've asked that of other PhDs on my channel. They're like, I guess it's possible, but they don't personally uh, think that's the case at all. Like it seems to be a less likely position. I'd be interested though, to see what your friend. Well, he's the guy is actually Robert's um, a Robert. Silver, a silver, silver, a Sullivan. I've got it written there. Robert Sullivan, even Robert Sullivan has been on your show. I think I found him off your show. He's a 30, oh, 30, yeah, 30, yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. I've he was a gr- yeah. great guy. So I'm going to interview him. And I, I watched your show, fascinated, chatted to him back and forth. So I'm going to be interviewing him soon. I'll let you go, but let's do this again because this was absolutely fascinating and really lovely to chat to you. And thank you for thank being you. so patient with the time. Where can people find your podcast? I'll link everything below, um, everything you do, where people can find. Where can people find yeah, you? So go on YouTube and you can just type in Myth Vision Podcast and you will find my channel. I got the red eye and everyone likes to read into that. I get a lot of people thinking I work for the Illuminati, stuff like that. I wish they sent me a check. I'd be happy to do so, um, but I don't. So, uh, but I talk about all this stuff. This is stuff that all these groups, all of these different types of movements are talking about these things that I talk about, but I'm also tapping into academics, legit PhDs in mainstream scholarship, as well as fringe ideas. And um, mythvisionpodcast.com is the website. So it's real simple. Myth, M-Y-T-H, vision, one word, podcast. It's simple. So guys, I'll send you over there. I'll send you all the links, but um, it's becoming one of my favorite podcasts because it's just the, the people that you speak to and the the understanding of these texts, especially if you're going to do conspiracy research, you really do need to understand what these people would believe and where the origins of some of these mythologies come from and where you can see where they're heading. So, guys, thank you so much. Thank you, Derek, for your time. And I'll speak to you soon. Bye. Thank you. I'm unapologetically fly. I don't wonder why. That's just my attitude. Yeah. Okay, hey, that's just my uh.